Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22, if you guys want to turn there. Um, a lot of ground to cover. That is just not going to work. I'm just going to have to get rid of the lid. All right. We're, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22. We're actually uh, we're going to cover 38 verses this morning. That's, uh, that's quite a task. And, and um, where we have been... Uh, is in the temple, but I want to tell you as of this morning, our time in the temple is over because it's Thursday. It's Thursday. Uh, it is It is the day of the Passover meal. And Jesus is going to tell his disciples, go ahead and, and get the place ready, get the upper room ready. Um, they are going to eat the Passover meal together um, and have one last supper together as this band of brothers this group of friends, this circle of fellowship. And as we know, many things will happen on this night. And uh, this is the beginning of them all. This is a really important text. We have a lot to get to, so we're going to jump right in and pray, if you don't mind. And uh, then we will study the Word together. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for loving us. God, thank you for your goodness, and thank you for the cross. I thank you for what it is meant to remind us of. I pray that you would forget, uh, forgive us for how often we forget uh, exactly what happened there. We adorn ourselves with the cross as jewelry. We wear it as tattoos. We put it on our shirts. But we so often forget the tragic price of sin, not someone else's sin, not the sin of great sinners out there in the world, but the price of our sin, my sin. Hallelujah. Praise be to God for this Jesus and his willingness to love us like this. To lay down his life. To shed his blood. That we might be forgiven. Holy Spirit, we invite you in now to take your place as the teacher of this church. We recognize that as your role. And we recognize you as God. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would teach us and lead us in the ways of Jesus. We ask that you would lift him up and that you would draw all of us back unto him in a powerful way this morning. Jesus, we pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the feast of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching, and the chief priest and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people, the many people that were following him at this point. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard, and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus, they were delighted. 
and agreed and watched for an opportunity to hand over Jesus to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. But where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. I love this. This is just typical Jesus. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. I was talking with Jeff before the service, you know, in Sunday school, which hopefully you guys are headed to in a second. We're talking about that divinity and humanity of Jesus and that balance, right? And, and what that looked like, that, that Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man, right? That in the Bible it says that Jesus had to grow in wisdom and stature, and yet he's still God. And, and the majority of his time on earth, it seems that he, uh, he just relies fully on, on his Father for all things. And, and is this divine wisdom, or is this his, his being God and his omniscience, right? And uh, all I know is it's cool. It's really cool when Jesus says something like this. He, he, you, know, you remember the triumphal entry. He says, hey, I want you to go to a house and there's going to be a donkey there. and Nobody's ever ridden it. Right? I want you to ask a guy for, for his donkey. And, I'm, I, and, and just, just trust me, it's going to be tied up. It's going to be great. And this is that kind of Jesus moment where I, I think Peter and John have to stand back and go, who is this man we're following? Who, who is this man we're, we're following? So... They left, and get this, verse 13, they found things just as Jesus had told them. And so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Also a dispute among, uh, rose among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table, but I am among you as one who serves? You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, 
so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm I'm ready to go with you to prison and, and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today... You'll deny me three times, uh, or you'll deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I uh, sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now, if you have a purse, you should take it. And also a bag. And by the way, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. That's the third time we've heard the word fulfillment in this text. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. It's a lot in that text. I did my rough outline this week, I thought of at least 10 things we could sit down and talk about. I thought of at least 10 areas of interest that you might have questions about. Unfortunately, I have about 30 minutes. So I'm just going to talk about three things. And the first is the absolute most important point in all of the passage. And it has to deal with this thing called Passover. This morning, this is what I want you to understand clearly forevermore, Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb whose blood was shed once and for all, get this, to provide life for all who believe, okay? Jesus was the perfect Passover lamb whose blood was shed once and for all to provide eternal life for all who believe. So it is the day of unleavened bread. It is the day on which the Passover lamb is to be sacrificed. That's what it says there in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sends Peter and John ahead with instructions that only Jesus can give and says, hey, it's, it's going to happen today. You guys go ahead, prepare the meal. They're like, Lord, wait a second. We're, we, we don't even have a place to stay here in Jerusalem. What, what's supposed to happen? He's like, you're going to find a man. He's carrying a big jar. He's going to have an upper room. It's going to be great, okay? Just go, just go, go handle it. And so uh, they go ahead and they do that. And, and, and the point of, of everything that, that Jesus is doing is that tonight, tonight, he is going to celebrate the Passover with his disciples one last time. One last time, he said, tonight, he, I, I've been so eager to do this, to eat this with you, one last time before I fulfill it. Been so eager to eat this with you one last time before it is fulfilled. Now, to understand that comment that Jesus makes, what, what on earth does he mean that the Passover is about to be fulfilled? To understand that, we have to know the roots of the Passover feast and why it's celebrated. And guys, that goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. If you remember, uh, right, that way back to the story of Joseph, Joseph whose brothers sell him into slavery. He, he eventually is able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. He's, he's put in charge of all of Egypt. He's basically uh, in, in 
just next to Pharaoh. He's, he's kind of the king of Egypt. Uh, his brothers come back, and, and eventually uh, they're reconciled. The whole family moves there. And, and the Bible says that while in Egypt, the Jews just explode in population growth, so much so that they actually outnumber the Egyptians. Now, the Pharaoh that knew Joseph uh, dies, and, and, and of course, Joseph is eventually going to die. And, and this new um, Pharaoh arises and uh, says, look at all these Jews. They outnumber us. If they ever realize how many people there are, they're going to overtake Egypt. And so they make them slaves, and, and they cry out to God, God, please deliver us. God, please deliver us. And God sends Moses, right? Moses goes to Pharaoh. Of course, Moses was raised in the palace, and he goes to Pharaoh and, and says, hey, you've got to let my people go so that we can worship God in the desert. And he goes over and over and over again. So God sends ten plagues upon Egypt to prove his power and to try to force Pharaoh's hand to make Pharaoh uh, release the Jews. This, the, the, the tenth plague was the worst of all, and, and it was the plague of the firstborn child. And, 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 and literally what, what it said was, was listen, every firstborn child, uh, man and, and animal, is going to die tonight as the Spirit of the Lord passes over all of Egypt. Every firstborn child is going to die. It's a terrible plague. But God says, here's a way out, okay? If you'll take a lamb, a blameless lamb, a a, a spotless lamb, if you'll take a perfect lamb and you'll sacrifice him, I, I want you to sacrifice him, and I want you to take the blood of this lamb, and I want you to smear it on the doorpost of your home. And what's going to happen is, is the angel of the Lord, right? The, the angel of death, literally, that's going to pass, uh, come through Egypt. For every home that believes in God and that receives this word from God and that, that obeys and that trusts in the Lord and believes in, in, in this blood uh, of this spotless lamb, for every family that does that, this spirit of death, death will pass over that home. Okay? And here's, here's the picture of, of what those doorposts would look like, okay? And that's what they were called to do. That's what they were called to do. Now, get this. This, this is a one-time occurrence. It happened one time in the history of Israel. One time. as Passover. But God instructs His children to remember this one time. And to celebrate this one time from now on. In fact, it says this in the book of Exodus. Uh, if we can get that, that verse up there. Exodus 11. Um, or actually, it's 12, by the way. It's not 11. There is no 12 through 14. That's a typo on my part. So Exodus 12, uh, 12 through 14, um, says this. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all of the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Uh, the blood will be assigned for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Uh, next slide. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Get this, ready? This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate this. From now on out, God is saying, you will celebrate this as a festival to the Lord, a lasting, what's that word? Ordinance. So here Jesus is, and the Jews are still celebrating this ordinance. This lasting ordinance, what? This blood on the doorpost, on the frames, on the sides, on the header of the door, right? So God instills this ordinance, and he says, I want you to remember this yearly. 
I want you to repaint this picture over and over and over again. I want you every year to repaint this picture of the blood of the Lamb and death passing over all who believe. Over and over and over. And so the Jews do throughout their history. They continue to repaint this picture of the blood of the Lamb and death passing over. They repaint it over and over and over. And then Jesus comes upon the scene. The very first one to recognize his divinity is John. And John gives him a very interesting title from the get-go, John 1.29, right? It says this, Look, the Lamb of God. Not Messiah, not just King of Kings, not just Lord of Lords, but John sees something in Jesus that no one else sees. He says, look, he has finally arrived. Divine wisdom from God, no doubt, for John, who Jesus calls the greatest amongst men, by the way. Believe God-given wisdom unto John to recognize this very special role of Jesus. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Right? Of course, we, we know how Jesus is going to do this. Jesus is, is going to live the perfect life. He's going to be the blameless lamb. And he is going to be slaughtered. And his blood is going to be shed in an eerily similar pattern. Looks something like this. Got a picture. Here. And here. And here. And the Bible says that it is only through belief in the blood of this lamb that death will pass over us. That doesn't mean that we won't physically die. It was physical death there in the Old Testament. It's talking about spiritual death, complete separation from God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. It's the price. It's the penalty. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. Death shall not ruin them. Rather, death will pass them over. Jesus says to his disciples, I have been longing to eat this meal with you one last time before I fulfill it. Before I fulfill it. Verse 16 is that interesting uh, passage. I'm in, in Luke 22, verse 16. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. It's a picture. Jesus was showing them this ordinance of God, this ordinance that you have been participating in. I am about to finish. I'm about to complete. So this is interesting, right? Coming up, uh, literally, uh, this is Thursday. So coming up the next day, uh, Jesus is going to fulfill this ordinance. And then here, in this night, he establishes a new ordinance. Just read with me, right? I'm in verse 17. After taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, Take 
this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I won't drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he's going to take bread, and then he's going to take the cup again, and he's going to explain the significance. And Jesus establishes, he's fulfilling an ordinance that God established in Exodus, and he's going to establish a new ordinance that his believers should continue until he returns. This morning, we're going to participate in that new ordinance. So I'm going to ask if my deacons don't mind, meet in the far right back corner of the church. You guys can head there now. And I'm going to explain what this ordinance is about for those of us that are here, this new ordinance that we call the Lord's Supper. And we we participate in this ordinance because on the night uh, that Jesus uh, eats and partakes of of his last supper, this last Passover supper, um, this, this meal that is extremely significant, it's the last time he eats it before he fulfills it, right? He establishes a new ordinance for the church. That's the age we live in now. And that ordinance is also something that is done to be remembered. Now, Passover was done. The blood, right, was supposed to be a symbol. It was supposed to remind us that there was one coming. There was a perfect lamb. There was a spotless lamb. There was a Messiah that was coming whose blood would be shed for the remission of the sins of all who would believe. That's what was coming, right? This, too, is a symbol. And every time we partake of it, we're supposed to remember exactly what it takes for us to be forgiven. And so that night there at the table, Jesus uses table elements. There that night at the table, there was bread and and there was wine. It was part of the feast. And and, and Jesus being the great illustrative teacher that he is, he he takes the bread and and he breaks it. And he's going to say, this is my body, which is broken for you. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And then... There's the, the crimson wine, uh, red wine, no doubt, that looked like blood. And, he, and he, he shares it with them. And he says, all of you, I want you to understand, this is the cup of a new covenant. Everything's changing. Everything's changing. I'm, I'm fulfilling all of the law. This is a new age. And, and it's all going to be about grace. And it's all going to be about what I've done for you. So I want you to drink this, and every time you're together and you drink this, I want you to remember me, right? I want you to remember the blood of the Lamb who will be slain. This is a heavy night for his followers. It should be a heavy day for us. It should be one of those things we think about. So there's some instructions that Paul gives. Uh, First of all, he would tell us that this is only for believers. If you're here today and for some reason... Uh, you're here today and you, you just, you're not a believer yet. That is okay. I want you to know that it's fine to let those elements pass of you. I want you to know that we believe in, in what we call an open table. That means you do not have to be a church member to participate in the Lord's Supper. You just have to have, be a believer in Christ. And lastly, I would say that we do this as a body of believers. We don't just go off and do this um, kind of separately. It's not that you can't do this in your own home anytime you break bread at your table. Um, but we do this uh, as a family, just as the disciples were all gathered there in the upper room together. And so we're going to ask when you do receive the element that you would take the element and hold it until we can partake of it together, okay? And so uh, with that, I'm going to ask my deacons to come forward as I pray. And, uh, and we're going to pray as we prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper. This last part as they walk down, uh, friends, is that Paul says a man ought to examine himself before he partakes of the supper. So what we do in our church is we have a moment that you would just pray 
um, maybe a prayer like David, search me, O God, and know my heart. Would you just ask the Lord for a moment, Lord, is there anything in my life that doesn't bring you glory? Lord, is there any sin in my life that I need to confess? Lord, is there any pursuit in my life that I need to give up? Lord, is there anything in my life that's not of you? Am I holding a grudge against a brother or a sister? God, forgive me. Help me to forgive them. Would you just, for a moment, would you just search your heart before we participate and partake of the Lord's Supper? Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in what we're about to do as we proclaim the power of your death and the power of your blood. We know without your sacrifice, there would be no way for eternal life. We know that you're the perfect Passover lamb and that because we have put our faith and our trust in you and your sacrifice for us, that death will pass us over as well. Be lifted up this morning in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Gentlemen, will you serve the bread? Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As you take that element and hold it, would you just think of all that Christ endured on our behalf, right? It says that he was marred beyond human likeness, Right? He was mocked, he was beaten, all for our sake.
Jesus, we know that there could be no perfect death if you had not lived the perfect life. How easy it would have been for you like us to lose your temper as they falsely accused you, as they beat you, as they tore out your beard. You could have just called down an army of angels. You could have just smote everybody there and said, that's it, I'm done, I'm starting over. But you took it. You endured it because it was necessary for us to be saved. And so we do not, we do not forsake your life. Today we remember it. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Same night, as Jesus was sharing wine with his disciples, he spoke about the newness of life that was coming. Go ahead, gentlemen. A new covenant that would be formed in his blood. His blood, his perfect blood, the blood of the perfect Passover lamb. The Bible says without the shedding of that blood, there would be no forgiveness of sins at all. Think of this in light of the gravity of what's going on. This is Passover. The blood on the doorpost. The sign that has been going on since Exodus. Since they left Egypt. And Jesus says, I'm fulfilling this. By the way, it's going down tomorrow. My blood will be on that cross. Shed for you. Without this, there's no forgiveness. Please see the picture this morning, maybe for the first time. Understand the sacrifice. Thank God for his perfect blood.
Lord Jesus, we sing about it, and we try to wrap our minds around it. But I'm just going to be honest. I all too often fail to understand the significance of what we're about to do. The blood of goats and the blood of animals could never clear the conscience of man. We just walked around constantly feeling guilty and ashamed. But Jesus, your perfect blood actually has the power to cleanse even the darkest stain of conscience. For in you, there is no longer any condemnation. Thank you for shedding your perfect blood for us. Thank you for cleansing the deepest, darkest places of our heart. It's in your name we do this. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. In my blood, whenever you do this, would you do it in remembrance of me? Thank you, Jesus, our perfect Passover lamb. Now, if I was a wise man, I would stop the sermon there. And we would say amen and go home. Uh, there are a couple other quick things I want to point out to you in this text I think are important. Uh, I am going to do them very quickly, for we are short on time. Uh, our second point this morning I want you to see is that life is not about the status you gain or the money you save. It's about how well you serve. Life is not about the status you gain or the money you save. It's about how well you serve. So on, it sounds so much like my family, right? On his final night collected with his dear friends, a fight breaks out. You know what I'm saying? It's like, he's, this is going to be great. This is going to be it's, come on, this is important, guys. This is, I've, I've been waiting for this night and a fight breaks out. Are you kidding me? And they start to fight over who's the greatest. He says, listen, one of you is going to betray me. That no doubt maybe sparks some conversation. But then they're, they're going, who's, who's going to be the greatest? Which one of us? They begin fighting about it. And Jesus says basically, what on earth are you doing? You're fighting over who's going to be the, the greatest. It, it, this is the worst condemnation I think Jesus could speak over anyone at any uh, period in, in history. He basically says, you're acting like the rest of the world. Christian, you hear that? You're acting just like they are. That's what he says. They care about this stuff. They care about status and about money. 
That is what the world does. He says they like to lord power over one another. He says, in fact, they live um, to be called benefactors. That word should stick out to you in the text. They long to be called benefactors. That word benefactor, it's a title of honor. It's a symbol of status, of grandeur, of greatness. And Jesus says, you think that's what greatness is all about? You think greatness is about making a name for yourself or making enough money that others will have to bow down to you? And then he basically says this. This text is not in your Bible. It's in my translation. It's in Spanish in my translation because it's my favorite phrase in Spanish. Metame. Look at me. Jesus, look at, look at me. If you want to see greatness, hello, I'm standing here before you and what am I doing? Jesus says, I have come to serve. I have come to serve. In another text, he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, I am the servant amongst you. Verse 27, right? Is it not the one who is at the table, he asked? And he's answering, no. No, it's not. But I am among you. As one who serves. That is what life is all about. It is not about how much you make. It is not about how well you are known. It is about how well you serve. Last point. I told you I got to cover these last two quickly. I want you to see this this morning. Maybe you've never uh, seen this text. The kingdom of God is literally... God's will for your life. The kingdom of God is literally God's will for your life. Let me explain verse 28 and 29. He says, you are those who stood by me in my trials. Get this, verse 29. And I now confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The word confer, when Jesus says, I confer on you a kingdom, in the Greek it means to dispose of one's affairs. This is Jesus' last will and testament, friends. He says, I'm I'm going to die. I'm, I'm going to fulfill the Passover feast. I'm I'm going to provide a way for all who believe that death could pass over them, that they can experience eternal life. I'm about to to do this, and, and here's the deal. When I am gone, I'm going to give you something. Here's my last will and testament. Ready? My will for your life, what I will to you, is my kingdom. The very kingdom of God. I give it to you, right? And, and, and so now it's your responsibility to go and to do what I have been doing. And even greater things than these, he says in John 14. You're going to go and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, right? 
Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And I know that sounds overwhelming, that I'm, I'm putting you in charge of this kingdom of mine. I know that that freaks you out a little bit, but I want, I want you to not worry about that, because I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm sending my Spirit to you, the Holy Spirit. And He's not going to be with you, He's actually going to live inside of you. And He's going to be your teacher and your guide and your power. To do these things. Huge responsibility. As you keep in step with him. You will abide in me. And you'll bear much fruit for our kingdom. The kingdom of God. Now. That's a lot of responsibility. If you're an armchair theologian. I like that title by the way. That's my new favorite title. An armchair theologian. right? Kind of like an armchair quarterback. We, we want to figure it all out. If you're one of those people that you want to know, I want every I dotted and every T crossed. That's what happens. You, you say, I, I just, I, I'm going I'm to be in this camp or I'm going to be in that camp. And I, this is what I would say to you. you, you you're going to ask in this text, well, then who's, whose responsibility really is this? It's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> Isn't it God's responsibility to bring about his kingdom? Pastor, you just said it was our responsibility. You make it sound like we can save somebody. You can't save anybody. The Bible clearly says that. But it also clearly says that Jesus confers his kingdom to you, that he wills it to you, and that he tells you to go and make disciples. You have a responsibility. I, I like, uh, I'm reading through Francis Chan's Forgotten God. He's talking about how, how, how do these things work together, right? How does God's sovereignty and man's responsibility Mesh, and he says, I, I don't know, but I do know that to make a loaf of bread, you need yeast and flour. <laughs> so I have no idea how the yeast interacts with the flour in that certain way that it makes it so light and fluffy and delicious. I just know that it's necessary and that without one or the other, it's not very good. <laughs> Friends, there is tension throughout the scriptures and... I would encourage you not to try to explain away every ounce of it, lest you try to explain away the very grandness and greatness of God. So let me give you some application uh, with this first and foremost. Uh, my challenge to you would be to believe in the power and the blood of Jesus, right? If you're here and you're not a Christian, I would just say to you, uh, the Bible says that you're a sinner, you're not alone in this room. Everybody in this room is a sinner. And, and the wages of sin is death. That's, that's what's coming for all who sin. And the Bible says that all sin. But God has provided a way for the wage of sin, for the penalty of sin, to pass over his people. If they will believe in the sacrificial death of Jesus, the Bible says they will be saved from the penalty of sin, which is death they can experience something called eternal life. And, and if you've never trusted in Christ today, that would, I, that would be my, I would beg you, trust in Jesus today, right? Two, uh, I, would, I would challenge you to start serving somewhere, right? What does it mean to be great? What does it mean to be great? Let's have a fight this morning. Let's fight in church, okay? What is, what is greatness, ready? It's servanthood, that's greatness, but no, pastor, it's, that, that's not what I'm living for. I've, I, 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 I live in America. There's a dream here. I mean, come on. I, I mean, for crying out, I mean, right? This is, 
This is the land of prosperity, right? I have a right to pursue these things, right? It's my right in life to pursue life and liberty and happiness. And that means a house and that means money and that means my bank account. And that means that people respect me and they look to me and they go, wow, that's an important person over there. And Jesus says, you know what? None of that matters in the end. Here's what counts, how well you served. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Outliers, and in it, uh, he, he talks about, uh, he, he talks about it in a couple of books of his, but what, what it takes for somebody to be an expert in any, any field, and this is a pretty common statistic now. They say to be an expert in any field, to really be great and set apart from everybody else, uh, to get recognition, uh, you need about 10,000 hours of practice. 10,000 hours of practice to be great is the number. Uh, so if we just did some quick math, uh, that's a little over um, 400 days uh, without sleep of doing something. 416 to be exact. I'm not trying to, right, just saying. So if, if, we, if we were going to equate that to service, and Jesus clearly is not. He's not saying there's no, there's no set number of hours you have to serve, okay, hear me. But, but, if, but, but if we were going to use a human guide for greatness to say 10,000 hours is what really makes you good at something, and, 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 and we kind of apply that to the Christian life, you know that if you serve the Lord two hours a week, it would take you 96 years to reach 10,000 hours to get really good at it. <laughs> I'm so thankful God doesn't use that kind of guide with me. But he does remind me, my child, why are you running around like the rest of the world, like the pagans, like a chicken with your head cut off? Why are you worried about tomorrow? Why are you so concerned about what you're going to eat or drink or whether or not you can afford to clothe your kids for school and they can wear Nike stuff because they're picky and won't wear anything else? Like, why is that concerning you? Look at the birds of the air. Right? Look at the lilies of the field. Solomon wasn't even dressed as good as these, right? Seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, all the others. All the rest is going to be given to you. I would, I would challenge you, uh, the, the text, Jesus, his very last night, he calls these men to serve. And by the way, as he calls them to serve, he calls them to come and die. Don't, don't mistake it. Don't mistake it. Go back and study what happens to these 11. Judas will betray. Listen to what happens to these other 11. They, they do serve God faithfully, giving up everything that they have. Lastly, uh, I would challenge you to receive the kingdom and the responsibility that comes with it. Receive the kingdom and the responsibility that comes with it. Jesus says, I will unto you my kingdom. Wow. Can I ask you a question? What are you doing with your inheritance? Honestly. Because I fear for many of us, we haven't even received it yet. fear it. Some of us, maybe we, we went to the initial meeting, right, where the lawyer doled it all out, but we just stuck it in the bank. We, have, we haven't done anything with it. There is a responsibility. And you say, Pastor, what is my responsibility? What is God's responsibility? I say, 
man, bread tastes good. We should start cooking. Let's get cooking. Yeast and flour, I don't know how it works. I just know that it does. I know that God commands it and he bestows it. I just know that it's there. And I know that he says, you're supposed to do something with what I'm giving you. And that question should haunt us. Lord, what am I doing with what you have given me? Pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. We love you. I pray that you would uh, allow us to see exactly how you've spoken to us today. Right now, here in this moment, God, reveal to each of us how are you speaking to us. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for loving us this way. We love you. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.